0: Welcome to Brewing It Over with Cup North, the show that gives you the chance to deep dive into the topics shared in the content programme at our events. From social to consumer to sustainability issues, there's something for everyone. I'm Hannah Davis. And I'm Grace
1: Talbot. And today we are joined by Will Kenny from 200 Degrees. Will has always loved and worked in hospitality, becoming a coffee obsessive in 2001 when joining the Coffee Police, training and managing coffee quality for some of the UK's best loved brands. Over the following 20 years, he has worked with many of the leading operators to support and develop their coffee programmes, before joining 200 Degrees as the business continues its growth in helping more people drink better coffee.
0: Before we welcome Will to the podcast, don't forget, if you want to listen to his presentation from Manchester Coffee Festival in 2022, hang on until the end of the podcast to hear the full recording. And just speaking of Manchester Coffee Festival, we couldn't deliver any of our projects without the incredible support of our partners. Here's an advert from our extracted development partner, MoMA Foods. MoMA, the barista's choice. Made for baristas at home and at work, MoMA carefully crafted their barista quality oat drink to be fully microfoamable and work perfectly in all types of coffee. It took their oat-obsessed in-house scientist over 250 recipes to get it just right. And it's now the barista's choice across the UK. MoMA make their oat drinks in the UK using the highest quality British whole grain oats and would love to offer you 15% off at MoMAfoods.co.uk with the code EXTRACTED15.
2: Welcome, Will. Hi guys, good afternoon.
1: Hi, how are you doing? I'm
2: very well, thank you. Very well. Excited to speak to you both.
1: Excellent. That is the answer we always look to hear. Okay, so we want you to feel very relaxed and we also want to give our lovely listeners a chance to get to know you a little better. So I do have some pre-prepared questions. They are very difficult, so be prepared.
2: Oh, Starting sat, in hot. Sat with boaty <laughs> breath.
1: <laughs> What's your coffee order?
2: Oh, good question. Oh, see, I See, I'm... I just like to be that kind of awkward person that doesn't have a standard go-to. So I think it totally depends. I think, you know, most of us have worked in coffee for a while. You have different coffee needs at different times of the day. So, yeah, you know, I'll uh, I'll, I'll sit there and just kind of uh, slope in the corner with a latte if need be. Or, you know, I might be thinking, actually, I've got a bit of time. I want to, you know, brew this amazing single origin Kenyan that we've just sourced. So yeah, it totally depends.
1: Okay, where we're, where we're finding you today on the precipice of recording this fantastic podcast, what coffee would you be ordering if you were joining us in a coffee shop?
2: Uh, probably something on whatever this the shop had on
1: batch brew, I would think. Nice, batch brew, wonderful. Okay, yeah, it's always a strong choice. We will get our fantastic expert barista, Hannah, to go and pour you that batch brew. And uh, while we wait, can you tell me, in your dream cafe, when you're about to sip this batch brew, what music is playing?
2: Ah, oh, that's quite. some... again being a bit kind of eclectic and panicky. You know, I think getting the the ambience in in, in the in the in the, in, the, in, the, in the, any kind of environment is like super important. For me, just nothing too intense, nothing too hectic. You know, just nice, good, solid background ambience. Um, you know, probably a playlist that my brother has pulled together because that's literally what he does for a living. He, he designs playlists. So, I you know, I very rarely have to actually think about what music I can just go to, you know, his Spotify list and, uh, and get something that, that ticks the boxes.
1: Amazing. The world we live in where we have siblings whose professions it is to create playlists. I love it. I personally really like going into a coffee shop where there's like a favourite song of mine playing because I think I'm quite a needy person and it makes me feel seen and like I belong to something. So I'm always happy when there's like a bop that reflects me I'm like, oh, this place is for me. But (laughs) obviously not as needy as I am. No, absolutely. So last question. What is your most memorable cafe experience?
2: I'm gonna slightly flip the question. So not a cafe experience, but in terms of a coffee experience, I think for me Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to to volunteer um, and, you know, anyone listening who's interested in coffee should definitely volunteer to support coffee events. Um, and it was in Gothenburg and it was the first time I'd ever had a natural Kenyan at the Nordic wow. Reister Cup. So it was super high grade. I'd like, I'd literally, I'd never tried anything like it. So in terms of, you know, those coffee epiphanies that we've all had at one time or another, that was that was definitely the moment when you just, your eyes are open to the taste possibilities that are out there with the world of coffee. And, you know, I was already sort of five or six years in at that point. But I think I, I knew from that stage there was always going to be so much more to learn. Yeah. You know, and that's the, that's the joy of coffee. That's why we're here today.
1: I love it. Yeah, this is it. When you talk to people who have fallen in love with coffee... So many of us have that story where we, we drank X for the first time. For me, it was a natural Ethiopian, and I still remember it. I was like, coffee can taste like this, and it opens that door, doesn't it? And it keeps you opening every door that you realise is behind that door. It's magical. Yeah,
2: absolutely. We love it. And you, you, know, and you, and you think there's, 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 there's you know, it's probably three or four moments like that that you have every few years that just keeps that level yeah. of interest as, you know, as the boundaries of what's possible and what you discover keep growing.
0: Absolutely. There's no end to learning, is there? Very much so. Yeah, well, we would fully advocate for volunteering at events, obviously. I actually volunteered at World of Coffee <laughs> in Vienna many moons ago. And that was, I had been in the coffee industry for a few years, but yeah, it was pretty memorable experience in terms of like marking me getting into specialty coffee so yeah
2: yeah definitely. Um, and also you know it's kind of it's that that whole whole way of giving back and supporting the community and helping others that are, you know coming through and learning uh, and just a great way to have an excuse to be there and connect to, to, to people you might not otherwise speak to
0: Yeah, Yeah. totally. Yeah, so um, if anyone wants to volunteer at our events, you know where to find us. (laughs) So, for our listeners who didn't catch the presentation at Manchester Coffee Festival last year, can you start by giving us a sixty-second overview of your talk from the festival?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was. um... Sort of driven by uh, the process that we went through when we were reformulating our, our kind of our coffee program and our, and in particularly our packaging, and it was really driven about trying to to get to the to the nub of understanding of how and why consumers choose coffee, and you know bluntly, coffee is pretty intimidating if you don't have in, inherent knowledge of the product that you're buying and so it was it was a beginner's guide to to, to buying coffee essentially you know there was nothing nothing overly complicated or or, or jargony in there it was just you know okay I, i'm a, a, an average person at home i know i like coffee i go to a coffee shop it's great i want to start making coffee at home i want to start buying better coffee how on earth do i get to something where you, you know, you're not in a situation where you're paying ten, fifteen, twenty pounds for a bag of coffee, and, and it tastes awful because either you can't brew it properly, or it's not what you expect it's going to be. And you know, nobody wants that crushing disappointment of spending money on something that doesn't deliver what they'd hoped it would do.
1: Yeah, there is something rewarding, even if you buy a coffee that you don't necessarily enjoy the kind of in the cup experience of. If you still understand that you brewed it in the right manner for you. You can you can kind of make that um, distinction that okay this just isn't a coffee for me it's not that like I've been I don't know missold a certain experience based on the information on the bag in your in your talk you spoke about like the paradox of choice can you kind of expand on that a little bit further for our listeners
2: yeah absolutely so I won't even begin to start taking any claim for this but there was a a study that was uh, done I think back in the early nineties and it used the example of um, getting consumers in a supermarket to choose and select jams so you know the 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 two different routes they went down one where they had a table with 24 different jams on it and then the second comparative set was a you know a table with four jams on it and to start off with more consumers would stop by the bigger table because there's lots of eye-catching things to look at but actually when it came down to making a buying decision far far few people made that choice to buy because they were effectively overwhelmed by the choice of do I want strawberry jam or do I want bramble jam or do I want seedless strawberry jam? And um, so the idea being, and, and the general sort of philosophy that was taken as a result of that study, and I'm doing that no justice whatsoever, was effectively, you know consumers like to have choice or they think they need lots of choice, but actually it's, it's far easier to make any kind of decision when you limit the menu, when you limit the, uh, mm. you know, the selection. And I'm the classic, you know, I I have zero patience when I go to a a restaurant and you get, you know, 15 pages of different options. Like That's just too much. I I literally want someone to give me three or four choices. I could just choose something. It's nice and easy. So that's the kind of the general theory about the paradox of choice that just too much is overwhelming.
1: Yeah, I relate to this almost aggressively. There's a local cafe here where I live in Somerset and uh, they've got to know me now and they just they make me brunch uh because their menu is too much and i am incapable of choice and that is one of my favorite kind of consumer experiences is where they just bring me delicious food half the time i don't even know what i'm eating but i am living my best life
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely I, yeah, I can very much relate to that i you know it's just or the classic thing is you know you go out with a group of friends or, or family and it's a big table and it takes half an hour for everyone to decide what they want to order uh, because people change their mind and it's yeah, yeah. um
1: and then you get so, hangry you know, and that's when you fall out.
2: <laughs> yeah, never good, never good. Or the, you know, another example that I used is, um, and you'll see this quite often. If you if you go into any kind of big supermarket and you, you stand in front of the the coffee coffee selection, or or even down the wine aisle, the wine aisle is the best one because there's more people there and you'll see if you stand there you could see the same people stood there for 10 or 15 minutes picking stuff up putting yeah. it down and, and my, my inclination is only about three percent of those people actually know what they are doing the rest of us are just yep. going oh what's the difference between this one and this one and i like that label <laughs> better than this one you know it's uh,
1: yeah i like that it, label i think is probably heavily featured in that decision making
2: uh, yeah totally um and so we we just tried to use a lot of that experience and and, and a lot of the, the research we did with our consumers to, to go, well, how do we, you know, it's not about how fancy or complicated we want to make the labels and the, and the and the journey, just because we know what we're talking about. It has to be accessible so that people can get to understanding, learning, loving specialty coffee.
0: Yeah, that's really great. And people should definitely hang on for your talk at the end of this um, podcast because it's full of useful information to help you as a consumer navigate the world of of buying specialty coffee which can be a bit of a minefield at times at the start of your talk you mentioned that you should know what brewing methods you plan to use before buying the coffee like that's one of the three things i think you mentioned that you should kind of go into the coffee shop with but i just wondered what kind of coffee would you recommend for like a mocha pot as opposed to a v60 or espresso
2: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things, you know, kind of Grace, you were saying earlier on about, you know, trying to actually make sure that the coffee that you buy meets your expectations and, you know, coffee is that wonderful, you know, kind of commodity product that it's not like opening a can of drink or a bottle of wine where, you know, 99% of how that that, that product is going to taste has been controlled by the person who's produced or manufactured it. You know, coffee, it's almost the flip side, you know, so much of it is down to what we do as consumers when we're brewing the coffee. So using the examples of a you know, a mocker pot where you've got less nuance and control over the brewing method, it's quite aggressive in terms of the way the heat's applied to the coffee, versus a V60 where you've you've got much more interaction and manual manipulation of what you what you want you know at that point you might say well actually you know a mocha pot you want something that's a bit hot, heavier a bit darker roasted potentially it's you, you don't want to go for a super light delicate floral coffee where actually that brewing process of the mocha pot is, is going to diminish a lot of the characteristics that you inherently want that made you chose that coffee in the first place
1: yeah i think um it's it's an interesting point of view on it isn't it because a lot of us uh particularly at the festival um kind of inhabit the specialty world already so i think we forget or take for granted sometimes how much implicit knowledge we have. So when we're looking at these kind of product descriptions, uh, we're bringing a certain amount of knowledge already. The kind of big part of your talk that I resonated with was the accessibility point of view is kind of bringing this more niche world into an environment where say I always use my poor mother as an example but where she would feel comfortable kind of interacting with a product Uh, you referenced you know people don't always feel super confident with Spanish words my mum is definitely the type who would butcher the pronunciation and then feel terrible so just avoid the whole element Uh, can you tell us a bit about your bags and the information you put on them and and why you've deemed that essential over other element
2: yeah definitely we wanted to try and almost give the consumer a decision making tree to follow or a, or a process to follow so they get different different uh angles to be able to have accessibility into the range so you know previously we we used craft bags for all of our coffees didn't matter what they were so it's quite overwhelming mm. when you look at maybe five or six different products and and there's no immediate visual cues to make you understand what's the difference between the first one and the sixth one so we initially split it down into having black bags for our house core products you know our guest coffees then went into white bags and they say in big letters on the front house beans and guest beans so if it's that oh actually i really just i loved that cappuccino i just had i'd like to buy some of that coffee you know that's really really easy if you're you know then wanting to go down the guest route the next level of sort of categorization we did was to try and have color coding at a very very simple level so we've got coffees from the americas a one color african coffees are another and then you know sort of asian coffees are a third color scheme again go back to the wine analogy you know people remember labels you might not remember that it was a natural process sadamo that you had last time but you know if you're getting into the world of coffee you might remember that you bought a label it was a pink label and so you go okay well that's that's at least a bit of a starting point you've helped narrow down and take some of that choice to get you to a point where you you feel a bit more kind of comfortable with what you're what you're choosing and and language was definitely a big thing you know the the research that we carried out you know definitely reinforced the fact that uh, any any sort of non-native English words so they can be some African words they can be sort of Indian. you know, localities in Indonesia and Spanish is the classic one. You know, so much of the kind of coffee we buy is is, is talking about the, um, you know, particularly from Central America. And if people can't pronounce the name, they don't know how to say the name of the farmer or the region where it's come from. You know, it's far more difficult for to then have a conversation with the barista and say, hey, can you tell me a little bit more about this? Or to reach, you know, point behind them and say, oh, can I have a bag of, you know, whatever it may be? So it, it's 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 having those layers of accessibility so people can tr- feel confident so pick up a bag of coffee mm. and you know have a, a a bit of a stab as to what they should expect from it
1: bringing in uh admittedly it's been a little while since i've been a barista but a barista perspective on this as well um much to my shame there were a lot of times where we had uh guest roasteries kind of featured and i wanted to have that conversation with people about it but i as the barista felt uncomfortable knowing that i wouldn't get the pronunciation correct so it works both ways. It's not just the consumer in this transaction, particularly if you're, as you do in your talk, advocating for people to go into their local coffee shops and chat to the baristas. It makes it more accessible to them as well, I think, to be able to confidently talk about the coffee and understand it and not have that fear of being perceived to be a bit stupid because you can't say the word correctly.
2: And anecdotally, one of the things that that we knew was when we were having regular rotating guest coffees on the bar, there was one, you know, there was there was two or three particular standouts that when we were looking at the volumes, they were much, much higher than others. And there was no conceivable reason. Similar kind of processing methods, nothing radically different. It wasn't like we were starting to put a Sidra on us, you know, and it was massively more expensive. But it was just down to the fact that it was easily identifiable. The baristas felt super comfortable saying the name of the, of the actual, you know, that had been given to the coffee or the region it was coming from. And anything that was really complicated yeah. and difficult, you know, we just didn't see the same level of, of because, you know, for the to like you say, if, if you're not comfortable to, you know, sell, explain, um, engage with your, with your customer, then they're not going to take that, that, that risk if, if you're not comfortable.
1: I was just going to, sorry, briefly uh, ask, I know you do touch on this in the talk, but in terms of the producer and the farm representation, obviously the fact that perhaps we aren't uh, multilingual, shouldn't necessarily work against their representation and the work they put into the coffee. If people want to know that, if they want to go a bit deeper in terms of the information about the coffee they're buying, is that information available to them on your Yes, bags?
2: absolutely. And again, it's just at what point you introduce the consumer to that level of detail so you know, uh, once mm-hmm. they've got to the point where hopefully they've picked up the bag, they feel comfortable. You know, even just getting people to that point of turning the bag over and feeling you know com- confident to get into the, to that next level. So all of our all of our coffees have a QR code on the back because that's the, the easiest way to make sure you can share lots of details. So the hyperlink takes you to the um, to the website where it'll give you details, pictures, all of that level of you know kind of story and background that lots of us want. That you can't possibly fit into a label on the back of a bag, so um you know if there's if there's a few a few good things that came out of the pandemic, the fact that everyone now knows how to use a QR code has definitely helped because it just allows it <laughs> yeah. allows you to tell tell those stories in so much more detail than you know previously you never ever would have been able to on the on the back of a, a coffee bag
1: yeah, do you have any uh like phonetic spelling or little audio clips of any of these harder to pronounce words on the website or is this? something we might see following this podcast
2: we don't but i love that idea i'll uh, I'll, I'll i'll gladly steal that and if we uh, if we manage to find a way to put it in we'll uh, we'll give you a little credit somewhere on the uh, on the footer
1: <laughs> i love a <the> phonetic spelling <laughs> i'm always uh, looking for that
2: <laughs> yeah no it's, uh we just we just try to make sure that we kind of keep it as as straightforward as accessible as possible you know kind of i think a lot of experts in any type of subject can end up being so wound up in their own little thought process and you know bubble and you know part of all of our jobs in terms of encouraging as many people to come and experience speciality coffee is you need to break down those barriers and yeah let them know that you know actually it's not that complicated you know you can you can learn and and understand and grow your knowledge um knowing that you know 20 years later you could still be still be discovering something new almost every week Mm -hmm. so yeah i think that's kind of our our sort of responsibilities really
0: and do you think one of the challenges then because a lot of consumers are used to buying coffee in the supermarket where they where the coffees are often given names perhaps you know like what you've done at 200 degrees but then they're also often labeled with like a strength reading do you think that's helpful that those supermarket brands do that how do you feel about strength on on the side of a bag
2: we had uh, we had lots of very kind of contentious conversations and discussions around this because you know it it, it, you know bluntly they're they're pretty redundant and they're they're pretty meaningless but actually when we you know surveyed our consumers it was one of the number one things that people look for in terms of giving them a uh, you know a a visual cue and a guide as to what they could expect from it. It's not something that you can be absolutely held over a barrel to, because it's 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 all it, it, it's an you know an abject ch- chart and, and scale that we've created. But there is just that those people who go, I want something that's going to be darker, heavier. "Quote unquote stronger than something else and also it just helps manage expectations so if you've got a brazil blend our house blend which you know is primarily brewed as espressos that you know people drink in the in the, in the shops versus you know a very very delicate light and fruity guest coffee you need to have some way of showing people they're not the same thing and if you expect mm-hmm. the same thing you know either way uh. you're going to end up being disappointed I, I totally kind of sympathise with the fact that uh, you know the comments that that, that people will make that it's not really meaningful, but like that's the reality. People who are buying specialty coffee for the first time use that as something that helps them understand and get to what they what they want.
1: Yeah, I suppose it's about understanding kind of the distinction between a consumer's use of the word strength and what they mean. Uh, within the industry, we get very used to using strength in a certain way, but largely and I'm, I'm kind of generalizing here, but consumers when they talk about strength are speaking to perhaps darker roasts or that more of a like punch in the mouth kind of feel. Do you think that there should be more onus on kind of specialty businesses to educate our consumers
2: I, I think I think there is, and I think lots of, you know, again, the, the joy of particularly the UK speciality coffee scene is that lots of people want to be able to help educate consumers and, and, and there's loads of examples of people who do great things in terms of open events or cupping or roast house days, whatever it might be, to, to, to engage people and get them in. You know, ultimately you have to accept that, not everybody wants to be educated about coffee they just want to get to that product and you know and, and feel comfortable with it and you know there's different degrees and levels of enthusiasm and thirst for for knowledge and there's nothing wrong if people just want to get to the point where they go actually that's the that is the type of coffee i want i'll buy that forevermore and i'll be happy so you know we all we all should be open and, and uh, accessible to consumers asking us questions and helping educate, but you can't you can't ram that down to people's throats because a whole lot of people just they don't want that level of of uh, of, of detail um to what could be, you know, just, just a commodity purchase in, in some some instances for them.
1: Yeah, we can't demand everybody has the same level of uh... <laughs> the same level of desire to know more of coffee you know like like the reference used with wine I love drinking wine um but I don't necessarily have that same desire that I do within coffee to learn everything about it I just want a repeatable experience but it doesn't mean to say if there was a cool wine tasting that I wouldn't go along and perhaps accidentally learn a bit more that would inform my future kind of buying decisions so I suppose it is about making the education accessible as well as being generally accessible, so that the cupping events don't just go to an echo chamber of people already in coffee, it's it's reaching a wider audience, like the people listening to this podcast.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and that's why you know places <laughs> places place like Man- you know Manchester Coffee Festival in particular. You know, it's it's a, a, any sort of a, event you go to, we get the opportunity to talk to. You know general public people from outside the industry is always amazingly fascinating because you'll get some people that have you know have been and spent literally thousands and thousands of pounds and they'll reel off the list of all of the kit they've got and all of the gimmicks and the toys and mm-hmm. and you're just like, "Wow, okay I do, I do coffee for a living, and, and I don't have that level of kind of intensity around my my you know coffee making at home, and these guys are holding down a, a full-time day job you know doing something else so for but for all of those people you're probably going to get another 15 or 20 people that will come and talk to you at an event and go and they'll stand there looking a bit sheepish I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing you know I love coffee that's why I've come but you know can Mm. you help me and I've never been to a festival before and so you know one of the things that that we always try and do and and, and thing that we really press with our baristas is you know those are the people that you can have the most engaging conversations because if you are open and accessible and you may be repeating something you've said hundreds of times before, but if it's the first time that person's here, what a great, you know, opportunity no. to have that special moment with them and and be able to just maybe unlock a little thing or give them something that, you know, three months down the line, six months down the line, their knowledge keeps growing and, you know, they they perhaps then become the people that come back two or three years later having you know just yeah gone crazy into the world of coffee and you know that's that's the thing that's amazing about coffee festivals and what makes you know the the atmosphere and the vibe always so so fun
0: we agree yeah, <laughs> is, yeah i totally agree that is uh, one of the true joys of the coffee festival is just seeing those people at the very start of their specialty coffee journey, the excitement that they feel around the kind of world of discovery ahead of them. And I, I think one of the confusing things that we do as an industry for those people who are like at the very beginning of their journey is we put roast dates on our coffee bags because, you know, coffee is a volatile ingredient. It changes over time, but everyone puts different or mm-hmm. guidelines, I suppose, for like when you should drink your coffee by. I feel like maybe it would be nice to see some standardisation to to the way that roasters label their coffee. Do you think that would be helpful, Will?
2: It would be incredibly helpful. I don't think it will ever happen, but I think it would be helpful. And, you know, kind of, it, again, using different kind of food analogies. So when you say to someone freshly baked mm-hmm. bread tastes better than older bread, Everyone gets it because it is literally, it's a linear diminishing return. It's never quite as good as that moment it comes straight out of the oven. The difference being with coffee is that actually we've got this very confusing message that you don't want it to drink it too quickly after it's been roasted. But by the same token, you don't want to have it too old and too oxidized and staling. And identifying when that sweet spot is is really difficult because it can depend on the coffee it can depend on the roast profile it can you know we we uh, we, ch- we change from a, a a very traditional drum roaster to a loring a couple of years ago we 've actually found that you now need to rest the coffee longer than we did previously so
0: wow.
2: all of that is quite confusing so then you like how on earth do you have a standardized thing which says yes, buy freshly roasted coffee, but actually keep it in a cupboard for ten days so it rests and you know actually maybe this particular coffee you know is is best 15 days off roast or 20 days off roast um i think as a as a general mantra at least if you know when the roast date is the chances are that whoever has prepared produced you know roasted that coffee has put an element of care and attention because they're they're comfortable enough to tell you when that date was because it's not coming out of a huge factory and it's just it's one bag of uh, you know pallets and pallets of coffee that, that may be sent around the country. And, you know, uh, again, in terms of beginner's advice, if you're not sure, ask. You know, talk to the baristas, talk to the roaster, DM them on Instagram or the website. You know, everyone will always be happy to give you that bit of advice. Just accept that it may be incredibly confusing when we're saying, on the one hand, drink yeah. fresh coffee. It tastes best. And on the other hand, we're going, oh, yeah, but don't drink it too fresh because you won't get the best out of it.
1: I think the advice to ask is, is fantastic because ultimately no one wants you to have a bad coffee experience. Do they, you know, if you're working in a coffee shop or for a roastery that the desire really is for you to enjoy this product. So like we can't kind of advocate enough for asking and that's whether you're in the industry or outside of it, wherever you're at, keep asking because people pick up tips and tricks all the time and it's just this never ending wormhole where you know, like, yes, you do want fresh coffee, but not this fresh. And and also, again, I mean, and you go into the roast profile dictates how long, how you're brewing. it. it can keep on going. And if you do ask, you might find you're unbelievably interested or you don't care, but you've got the information you need to move forward. Like, risking is always great. Have you found that um, kind of since you've done these reduced pieces of information on your bags and you've changed the information you present based on the research you've done have you found people are receptive to it are you noticing more people speaking on the bags or or asking more questions
2: yeah there's been some some really interesting kind of sort of Unexpense, mm. unexpected consequences of change. So, one of the, one of the, the, the oddest things is we change from a craft bag to a, a, a recyclable, um, bag with a, a soft touch paper feel is the kind of the finish that's on the bag. And the number of people that pick up the bag and now sort of stroke it, it's, it's like, it's totally weird. The thing that you would never would have thought, but <laughs> just that tactile nature of people feeling comfortable to pick up the bag and look at it and turn it over and read the back, you know, it's yeah. just, it's just, those small things that just give the consumer confidence to approach a retail unit or, 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 or see something and think, oh, that looks interesting. Well, you know, we'll pick it up. And we've definitely seen that we we now, in terms of our split of coffee sales, we sell more guest coffees than we did previously. And again, I think it's because all of a sudden oh, well. you help people understand well why that you know fairly low volume micro lot you know single origin coffee is costing more than the you know the 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 core house range you know why why am i paying that you know one or two pounds more a bag what what should i expect why would it be different and so if, you know for us we think it's it's worked in terms of consumers just feeling that much more comfortable to experiment try something new and and not not have that fear factor um yeah it's kind of quite difficult to quantify which particular element has made that impact um, but you know for for us and, and hopefully for our for our customers and people that have tried it they they' are getting more from that coffee than they perhaps ordered done previously.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. If people want to learn more about uh, Two Hundred Degrees and any other projects that you're involved in, where should they head to? They should come see us at
2: Birmingham Coffee Festival and Manchester Coffee Festival because we will be at both, uh, and yes. I will be there for um, all days. Yeah, we've we've for those that haven't, you know, kind of heard of Two Hundred Degrees before, Two Hundred Eggs dot com, uh, and we've got. Uh, 18, so to be be our 19th coffee shop opens in Chester uh, later this month. Um, So, yeah, come on in. Hopefully you get a a friendly reception. You can speak to Brewsters, who, you know, will give you the time and, and, and help guide you through through what you need so so you can drink better coffee
1: amazing well yeah thank you thank you so much uh super interesting and thought-provoking and for those of you listening keep on listening because we will now play the recording of will's presentation from manchester coffee festival 2022 thanks for listening and we will be back soon with another episode of brewing it over
2: So why are you here? Who's, who's been in that situation where you panic buy coffee? You go into the supermarket and you stand there and I do this with wine and you look and you go, right, I know I need some coffee. What the what on earth am I going to buy? Where do I start? How am I going to find something that I really like and that's going uh, to you know, meet what I need? Or it could be worse, you panic buy and you don't buy coffee because you feel the pressure to make a decision and then you go, oh, it's just all way too stressful and I'm going to leave. So you walk into that type of environment. If you're really not sure, how do you start to kind of find a way in so that you can get something which you really, really enjoy? So you might be here to heckle me. I know there's kind of a few people at the back that are going to be doing that. So just to kind of explain who I am and what I do. So this this was a a much younger, marginally more handsome version of me 20 odd years ago. I started off working as a coffee trainer for a, um, a company and... Yeah, we drove around in those cars. as the coffee police fighting bad coffee crimes, helping people to drink better coffee. And, you know, that's what I've been trying to do over the last sort of 20 years. And, you know, one of the things is that, you know, coffee can be quite inaccessible sometimes, but it's fun. It's such a lovely product. And you know you just want everyone to enjoy that particular cup of coffee they've uh, they've got. So it could also be that you're fed up of buying coffee that then doesn't meet your expectations because you pick it up and you say that it's going to taste of strawberries and you're like, wow, this is amazing and it tastes nothing like strawberries. Or you you buy some really expensive coffee and you think I oh, yeah, I've paid 15 pounds for this bag and then you've burned all the way through it before you actually get a cup of coffee that really tastes as you want it to. It's just That's not cool. We don't want to do that. It's a waste of money. So what we've got here is the background shot to the McDonald's advert. I don't know how many people who remember having seen the McDonald's advert. And essentially what it did was show lots of people going into specialty coffee shops and being absolutely bamboozled by the terminology, by the type of cups that were being served, by the way the barista spoke to them you know, whether they got a smile, whether they didn't. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of quite polarizing when it launched in terms of some people taking a massive affront to it and thinking it was denigrating speciality coffee and how dare they poke fun at us. Like I was firmly on the other side of the fence that, you know, if that's how your, your guests or your customers perceive the interaction they have with you, that's not helpful. So jam, clearly got nothing to do with coffee, but bear with me. So there was a, an experiment that took place in the, in the mid-90s, and it, it was kind of termed the paradox of choice. And the fact that is, when you give people more choice, they're less able to make a decision. So what they did was they went into a supermarket and they had a little store with six jars of, of jam, and they got about 40% of people to come and try them. And of those people, um, just over half actually bought something. They then did the same experiment, And they gave people 24 jars of jam. More people tried it, but less people bought because they couldn't decide what they actually wanted. So that's the kind of the idea in terms of try to keep things simple, find what you like, find a way in and then go from there. So the reason this kind of came about is we wanted to change our packaging. And and we were talking to our guests that come into our coffee shops. And the type of feedback that we were getting was you add flavor to coffee beans it says caramel on the front has it got caramel in it you know obviously it is possible that you can do that you know we had a lot of people that we spoke to thought that a blend meant it had other things added other than coffee you know whether it had lemon or whether it had some like you know berries or spice mixed in with it we also had a lot of people the biggest barrier was the fact they didn't speak spanish and they didn't feel comfortable to actually pronounce the name that was on the bag siobhan at the front that i works with me learned today how to pronounce we, we, which is not something that rolls off the tongue. And, you know, if you don't feel confident to be able to ask for that, then you just end up feeling as a consumer a bit kind of foolish. The other thing is, oh, and I do this with wine, you know, oh, I had a really great coffee, but I can't remember what it was. And so then I don't know how to then buy it and enjoy it again. And also a lot of people just look, I really enjoyed that coffee. I want to buy some coffee that's that nice and simple. So we're going to remember the expert in in anything, you know, was a beginner at some point. And what we wanted to do was try to kind of rate, you know, where consumers go on their journey of, you know, kind of understanding about different coffee. So at the basic end, you know, I know I should buy beans. You know, I don't really know where to start. And then kind of obviously third wave coffee is massive. So people can go to Starbucks you know, they kind of know what their favorite uh, favourite recipes. Then it could get to a stage where, you know, you know your local independent. You started buying the, you know, the beans that they have regularly through the bar. And then you get to the point where you're starting to explore a little bit more. You're starting to go different regions. You know, you're only drinking fresh coffee. And then at that point you go, you know, it's almost become a religious event. You know, I absolutely know what I want from my coffee. You know, I understand what the difference between washed and natural is. Um, and you can get that that, that view. So nobody goes straight to number five. So this talk, if you're at number five, amazing. You're probably not going to learn anything new because this is more about, you know, one, two and three. It's a beginner's guide to coffee bags. So where to start? Hopefully that's not the experience when you ask your barista about what type of coffee you should buy. You know, definitely where to start is speaking to the people that, in the shop that you're dealing with. You can ask them questions. You can talk to them about the type of coffee you want. You know, and hopefully you found today that most people like sharing their knowledge and they want to help you kind of get the best coffee you can. Wine label, you know, the whole thing about wine and coffee is quite an interesting kind of comparable. And also, you've then got this thing about perception and cultural bias and cultural kind of views as to what things mean. So, if we ask an English person what a bus looks like, that's a bus. If you ask someone in Guatemala what a bus looks like, it looks like that. It's a chicken boss because those are the things that we've just kind of grown up with and we understand as part of our kind of cultural being. Same thing, English fish and chips. Everyone would agree that's fish and chips. But again, if you ask someone from Central America and Peru, that's what they think fish and chips looks like. So you've always got to remember there's a bit of context in terms of different people have different levels of experience and they probably approach things in a slightly different way. So three questions I would always ask before you go and start buying some coffee beans. How will you brew it? So if you're going to brew it in a stovetop mocha pot, your coffee choice is going to be very, very different to a V60 or an AeroPress. And it doesn't mean one is better than the other. It's just like start with that as a starting point. Because if you know you're going to be putting it through your, your home machine and you want to make a beautiful cappuccino, you know there are certain coffees instantly you go, well, actually, that's less appropriate to how I want to actually enjoy that drink. Secondly, how will you drink it? So will you put milk in it? Do you want it as a short drink? Do you want it as a long drink? Do you want it as a, an iced drink? Do you want to brew it as cold brew? You know, that again will start giving you the selection to sort narrow it down. And thirdly, why will you drink it? So, you know, first thing in the morning, your coffee requirements might be very different to middle of the afternoon to end of the day. There are certain times I need a coffee, like I literally, I need a coffee, And there's other times I want a coffee and it might be a very different experience. I might set a little bit more time aside for it. I might have more time to grind it, brew it and, you know, sort of enjoy that whole thing. Whereas first thing in the morning, I'm thinking, I need to get on the M1. I need a coffee to get me through that journey. And that will influence how I then decide which coffee I want. We've got lots of different examples of coffee bags that we're going to bring up. And we're going to start kind of working our way through some of the messages that you have on those bags. How do you then start to get to the coffee that you really want? So the first thing you'll see is, you know, a blend or a single origin. So the one on the left, Modern Standard, Momentum Espresso, is a blended coffee. It's it's their core house espresso range. It's consistent. You can go and buy that, you know, month in, month out, and it will taste the same. Predictable, easy, and blends are always a good starting point because you can buy it consistently. You can learn how what you do in terms of how you brew it impacts on how you actually then get flavor out of it. And then we've got, you know, a single origin here. So a beautiful one from North Star who are just over there. So this has come from Rwanda. So we know that's going to have more probably singularity of flavor profile. It's probably not something they're going to have month in, month out because it's fresh crop, it will change. And so... Really, those are the starting points. So, if you're a really, really newbie, I would always start with a blend. Get with a blend that you're really comfortable with. Learn how to get the best out of it before you get super excited about going buying some like mega expensive coffee, getting it home, and then wondering why it tastes disastrous because you just haven't brewed it in the right way. So, if we look at, you know, kind of blends and what they might be, they also might be that mix of Arabica and Robusta. So, I'm sure all of you have heard the difference between them. One is not better than the other. They just do different things. Robusta, you know, gets a bit of a bad rap. But actually, if you're drinking an espresso and you want that blend to be really consistent, really easy to dial in and really easy to make coffees with, and you're also going to whack a whole load of milk in it because you like a latte or a cappuccino, there's a place for having Robusta in there. Arabica tends to be more delicate, less caffeine, you know, grows at higher altitude. It's going to be more expensive. So obviously, you've got that premium there in terms of price. But again, what's most appropriate for how you're going to be drinking it? So if we look at origin, you can see this one is, uh, is one that's come from, uh, from Panama. So they've helpfully put a little map on the front of it. you know, And we will all co- coffee growing in this romantic vision. And again, very much like wine, the terroir of the country, the soil, the type of plant that is, all of that stuff is going to have an impact. So you can see here is kind of pretty high altitudes. You know, it's it's probably going to be somewhere in the Highlands. It's not, you know, mass-farmed commercial coffee um, that can be stripped and, you know, picked by machines. All of this is going to be hand-picked just by the nature of the the environment. You know, so we've grown our lovely, beautiful, ripe red cherries. You know, we've harvested them. So the next kind of thing that that leads you onto on your coffee bags is how is the coffee being processed? So when we say processing or you see a processing as a descriptor, all it means is how do you take the fruit off the cherry and leave you with the seeds that you're going to grind up and brew as your, as your coffee? So with this one, you can see, that, well, you might not be able to see because it's pretty small, uh, washed anaerobic method. Don't even concern yourself what that means. Just know that it's fairly fancy and experimental. And all we want to think about is something a little bit simpler at the moment. Fundamentally, how do we get the seeds out of the cherry? We can naturally process um, so that's the coffee beans on the top. So once that fruit has been laid out in the sun and the cherry is hardened, we can then mill it to be able to take the cherries um, and the fruit away to leave us the seeds. Um, and you tend generally, and we are talking massive generalizations, you know, the results are going to be sort of deeper, richer, slightly more kind of earthy in flavor notes. Um, you know, it's very, Sometimes you'll get certain naturally processed coffee that almost kind of smells of tomato soup. Like if you've never smelt it before, it's like it's a very distinctive. If you smell someone grinding some coffee and you think, wow, what's that? It's probably a natural process because it's just got a very distinctive aroma to it. So these are the drying beds. You can see African raised beds. So it keeps it off the ground. The air circulates, the fruit dries, and we get that lovely, rich, kind of smooth coffee. The other main principal way is to is to wash it and uh that 's the coffee that 's on the bottom, so these washed coffees will generally be a little bit brighter, a little bit cleaner they 're using fermentation in the water as the sugars and the cherries break down, so the cherry starts to kind of drift off the actual seeds that 's in the middle um, and you then get drying sort of uh, or sorry wet processing containers with the uh, the guys on the right here are raking the coffee over and over again to break up all of that loose fruit that started to soften as it started to ferment. Um, and then from that, we should get a broadly a cleaner, slightly sweeter tasting cup of coffee. So we've got our cherries. We've now got our green coffee. So the next thing that's going to start having an impact and is something for you guys to look out when you're picking coffee up the supermarket shelf is the roast level. So some roasters you can see have got, like the, these guys here, have got a little grade in there, four dots like along. And that. Then- that's a good kind of indication and a good kind of gateway to think well if it's something darker roasted generally and we are talking massive generalizations it's probably more suited to espresso or kind of sort of harsher kind of brewing methods if it's lighter roasted it's probably more suitable to either single you know single espressos or for you know drip or um, aeropress that style of coffee so again you've got another little visual cue all right That's going to give me a guide as to whether I'm going to like it or not. And the thing is, you know, cooking coffee or roasting coffee is very much like making toast. So I'm sure like, you know, you've all seen the tea scale. Everyone has their very particular color that they like their toast or their tea. Similar thing happens with coffee. You start to get that Maillard reaction and you get that caramelization that starts to bring a different flavor dimension to you've started off with the same product, The degrees in which you've toasted it is obviously transformed the type of flavor that you get out. So this is how they would, uh, they'd be roasting kind of a lot of coffee in Ethiopia. So the Ethiopian coffee ceremony, you know, very kind of rudimentary using that hot skillet. You know, it's quite, uh, quite ferocious in terms of the smoke. Obviously we've not got a, a hugely even kind of roast profile. Um, I'm sure any of you that work in the trade or any of you that were buying a bag of coffee that looked like that would be fairly horrified. You should be horrified if that's how your coffee looks like, if you pay good money for it. What we want is, you know, kind of the roaster to put some care and effort and attention to, you know, getting that coffee to its optimum in terms of its roast profile. So again, if you've never seen that roasting process, when you're roasting coffee, you get a lovely kind of, to- is a kind of toasty aroma? It's quite kind of grassy and greeny as the moisture starts to come out of the coffee. And then we go through to the point where the the coffee beans pop or crack as popcorn would do. And that's when we're then starting to bring out those very typical coffee type flavors. We could drink coffee in the second stage, but it would be super grassy. It wouldn't be pleasant. It wouldn't have any of those characteristics that, that we would want and expect from our coffee. So the next thing is we know how it's been roasted. When has it been roasted? So this is where it becomes super, super tricky Because there isn't a golden hard and fast rule where you say fresh coffee is always better than old coffee. And the reason being is when you very, very first freshly roast coffee, it releases lots of CO2. So when you pick up your coffee bags, you'll also see there's a little white plastic valve on the front of them. So, you know, affectionately, known, you know, kind of termed as the smell hole by some people because they think it's a marketing gimmick. So you can smell the coffee coming out. Yes, it is. It's good for that. But also it allows the gas to escape out. So if we try and make coffee with coffee that's ju- literally just off roast, it's too volatile, it's too inconsistent. You'll just end up, if you bring it through your espresso machine, you'll get a whole kind of cup full of crema and it will just be really unsatisfying, gaseous, and it'll be bitter because CO2 is bitter. But it's useful to know when the coffee's been roasted because then that knows how long it's been sat there. It's also useful because it's a quality indication to know that the roaster, whoever they may be, really cares about that coffee. And it's not a product that's gone onto the supermarket shelf where, like I'm sure you do the same thing, you... Need something with the best before date. You reach the back and you take the freshest coffee. Supermarkets hate us doing that. We all do it. The supermarkets hate us. So a lot of these products, you know, they'll have an 18 month shelf life because coffee doesn't go bad. And you know, all that happens is you're getting a a reducing kind of um, you know impact in terms of that coffee. So as a broad rule, try and get coffee within six weeks of roast. Some coffee is better in the first week. Some coffee might be better in the second or third, but We're keeping it super simple. So let's go for the six weeks as a nice, easy kind of benchmark. And then we go into tasting notes. So there we go. Beautiful kind of strawberry, brown sugar, rum. And you go, wow, that sounds amazing. But actually, how do you start to get those flavors out? And, you know, where do those tasting notes come from in terms of a descriptor? And this comes from this thing, which is the flavor wheel, which I know loads of you will have seen. And all we're then doing is we're starting at that main characteristic. So it might be fruity. And then we're identifying, you know, is it citrus fruits? Is it berry? You, know, you then start to expand out, you know, well, actually, what type of citrus fruit is it? Is it a grapefruit? Is it lemon? You know, all of those things will start to help kind of inform how that actual coffee is going to taste. And the next thing we've then got is the varietal. So this is a washed couture. So we know washed is the processing method because we've just covered that. And coffee cherries are very much like apples. So apples will taste very, very different depending on what their variety is. There are millions of different varieties of apples there are loads of different varieties of coffees. You know, and at the point where you're starting to know the difference between a pink Bourbon and a Couture or a Catuai, like you are, you don't need to be in, in this room. Like you're clearly, you need to be out there drinking some coffee. So these are examples of some of the kind of key varietals. So yellow Bourbon, Bourbon, very popular from Brazil. And then you get some slightly more interesting ones like Alfante, obviously, because it's elephant sized in comparison to the others. Um, And you also get some of those newer ones that are coming through that, you know, people are doing hybrids or they're kind of creating new and exciting types of coffee. So what did we learn when we went through the process as, you know, kind of redesigning our bags? We tried to strip everything back and try and keep it super simple. So house beans, consistent, it's a blend, it's easy, you know, straightforward. We decided to put a roasting scale on. It actually doesn't really mean anything, but it's, it's helpful in terms of giving the average consumer that way in to be able to understand the coffee they're buying. We've not put any Spanish on it and we've not put any varietal on it. We've not put any processing methods on it. We've given you a nice description. So our signature espresso blend, the heart of which comes from Brazilian Highlands, as served in our coffee shops. Super simple. Nothing nothing complicated, nothing intimidating. What we also then did on the back is we've got the QR code so that if you do want to know the farm it came from and you want to know the processing method, you can go and get all of that information because like, as you go through your journey, you want to know that. But hopefully that makes it easy so you feel comfortable to pick it up, read it and go, I kind of know what I'm going to get here. I'm not going to be too freaked out by expecting it to be like, you know, funky pineapple or whatever it is in terms of the uh, the flavor. So think of it, you know, we thought of it as like the dairy milk, you know. There's not many people who don't like dairy milk. Like if we had some, if I'd have been productive enough to give them some samples, I'm sure everyone would eat dairy milk. We also like single origin dark chocolate, you know, similar analogies. But actually, you know, the times when you're you just need a bit of a chocolate fix, what you would go for may change. And one is not better than the other because it's about what you want. You're eating it. Nobody should be telling you whether your chocolate is better or worse than anybody else's. And so for our guest beans, we wanted to make it really clear that they are a guests. They're only visiting. They're not going to be around forever. Um, and on this, you know, we've color coded. So African coffees generally tend to be this kind of peachy color. You know, we've given very, very clear tasting notes because at that point, you're starting to go down the journey of I want something a little bit different, a little bit more new one. And again, we've kept the roast scale on there. That's lighter roasts, you know, so actually it's going to be a little bit more delicate. It's not going to be quite as robust as some of those other coffees might. So question, what's the best coffee to buy? There's no answer to that. Now, you might choose that you like pretty bags and these are beautiful bags. You know, and you might go, I'm going to feel happy and I'm going to get value from that because, you know, they're all beautiful works of art. You might decide that you want to go for... You know, award winning coffee. So, you know, Darkwoods just out here, amazing coffees, win great taste awards. Or you've got Grumpy Mule, have got some great taste awards there as well. You might like unusual coffee. So, uh, Freed Hats is a, a roaster in Amsterdam. You can order it to the UK. You'll pay an absolute fortune for it. It's amazing. But unless you're really comfortable to do that, then I'd probably suggest not a good idea. Uh, Black Ivory coffee. So, I'm sure loads of you are low about Kopi Luwak and the civet cat poo coffee, that's elephant poo coffee. So again, unusual, no desire to want to try that in any way, shape or form, but you could probably pay a lot of money. And then here you've got green tip geisha. So super high end, super exclusive. You know, you're going to be paying a lot for those coffees because of how unusual they are. Or it might be just one really provocative coffee because you're the type of person who just goes, you know, uh, I want Death Wish. I just want the strongest coffee possible. And there are a whole load of people that that's literally their main purpose. That's why they want to drink it. They just want to blow their head off. They want to just be bouncing around the room for the rest of the day with the highest possible caffeine. Um, Dark Arts, any of you that don't follow Dark Arts, if that kind of humor or kind of tone of voice gets you, they just do the best socials, best video, yeah, YouTube channel. It's really funny. So out of all that, what's the best coffee to buy? Literally, it's the one that you enjoy. Try to understand and follow those three questions in terms of, you know, actually, how am I going to drink it? How am I going to brew it? How do I want to enjoy it? So that you're less disappointed. Nobody wants to be spending money and wasting money on coffee that's really expensive and then not getting the best out of it. So buy fresh coffee. Clean your coffee machine. It's a radical concept. So my brother-in-law bought an amazing, you know, high-end single group machine oh, coffee's not tasting quite as good as it was. And then you look at it and you go, it's black because you've not cleaned it. So at a very basic level, clean your coffee machine, use water, filtered water and understand your coffee grinder. So best thing to do if you're buying coffee, buy a coffee grinder, either a hand grinder or a manual grinder and know how that works. Most people's level of disappointment comes from the grinder not being set properly as a kind of a big ticket item that you need to get sorted. So show someone, ask someone, watch YouTube videos, go to a to school, you know, whatever it is, so that you learn, so you're setting yourself up to give you the best chance to get what you want, those beautiful flavor notes, so you can actually get them from your coffee. let's stay curious so this was something I learned last week if any of you have ever watched Ted Lasso so I knew one of me but I like the concept of staying curious so ask questions if I didn't enjoy that why didn't I enjoy it try to go back and interpret so that you're less disappointed the next time that you then go to buy coffee or brew coffee or, uh, yourself so if you've got any questions you can either ask me now or you can ask me I'm on the stand or you can email me um, yeah. any questions? thank you very much